I am so glad that October has five Sundays. You realize it does because October 31st is a Sunday as well, which means that although we got a one-week late start on our song of the month, we still have three more weeks to do it. I love that song. God is in control. Amen? Amen. And I am so glad because every time I have been in control in my life, it has not gone well. And so let that be a reminder to us. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. It's on page 98 in the Pew Bible. I mentioned to you we are nearing our end through the book of Exodus. Uh, Next week will be our final message through the book of Exodus based upon uh, how God's leading me to this point. Unless something changes, next week will be the final one. But we're not done yet. God has plenty to say to us. And so if you would turn to Exodus chapter 32, in just a moment, we'll stand and read beginning in verse 1. So I pray that you will do that. Now, I know that uh, every now and then there are first-time visitors. Most every week there's a first-time visitor in the room. Well, let me tell you, my name is Robert. Many of you didn't know that. Jeffrey Rasnick. That's my name. You know, Scripture teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is patient. Did I tell you that my name was Robert Jeffrey Rasnick? Because my name certainly is not love. I am not typically patient. Did you guys get that whole connection right there? Are you patient? What types of things make you impatient? Why do you believe that this occurs? Why do you believe that you're impatient? You see, patience is a person's ability to wait something out or to endure something tedious without getting riled up. Having patience means that you can remain calm even when you have been waiting forever or dealing with something that's painstakingly slow or trying to teach someone how to do something and they just don't get it. Now note in those definitions I gave you for patience, to wait something out, to endure something, to wait, to deal with something, that there's this, each statement tells us that there is an underlying belief statement in your life. You're being patient because you think there is something worth it in the end. Every time our patience is tested, it puts to challenge what we believe is going to happen on the other end waiting for something worthwhile or for something to happen or occur. You know, I was reading and studying this word this week, and patience is, church, the balancing act. Call it a seesaw if you want to. The balancing act between trust and despair. Trust being defined as the awaited thing being worth the challenge. Despair being defined as the awaited thing not happening or not being worth it, and so we walk away. And sometimes we find our life things that we're waiting on. Every day we wait on it, and it gets to be longer. We're tempted to give up on it instead of stay true with it. So what patience does is it causes us to lean one way or the other, either, either to be faithful and to trust, or to become unfaithful or to despair. As we read this passage together, I want you to look for areas where trust is being challenged, okay? Just think about that as you look at it. So let's stand and read together from Exodus chapter 32. We're going to read the first nine verses of Exodus chapter 
32. Exodus 32, picking up at verse 1, says this. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. (coughs) And the Lord, (laughs) excuse me, and the Lord said to Moses, go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Thank you. You may be seated. I ask that you keep your scripture open. If you're a note taker, get your notes ready to be made. There should be some papers there in the pew should you desire to have it. It should say notes on it. Feel free to take that and, and make the notes. I believe that God has many things to say to us today but I want you to be ready to capture those specific things that God says to you today. Now, two weeks ago, as we stood here, uh, in Exodus 24, 18, Moses is called up to the mountain with God. And Scripture tells us then in Exodus 24, 18, that he was there for 40 days and nights. Now, it would be reasonable to believe that neither Moses nor the people knew at the time, the time that Moses went up the mountain, how long he was going to be with God. We read scripture that Moses wrote for us after the fact. So the fact that it is 40 days was not something that the people knew in live moments. You know, in that moment that Moses went up, Moses did not say, I'll be back in 40 days. God called him up, Moses went up, and Moses came down when God was done. And it happened to be 40 days and nights that Moses, who recorded this scripture for us, told us about it. But in the moment that it was occurring, they did not know how long Moses was going to be gone. That's an important piece of context for us to put it in. You see, so many times, we talked about it in our small group Bible study this morning, we don't stop to understand the context of life that people are in when they hear about God, when, they're, when they hear his word. And so we need to understand that these people, Moses is up the mountain. At this current time we read today's scripture, Moses is still up the mountain. And scripture tells us that he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, last week, we reviewed the desire God had. It still blows my mind a little bit that God had that desire. This is the desire that God had, the plans that God had to dwell with us. He knew them and still loved them. He knew them and still wanted to dwell with them. He knew them 
and still had all of these elaborate plans. Now, at the time that today's scripture happens, the people don't know God's plans. You get that, right? Moses went up. God is giving Moses all of his plans. Moses has not yet come down, which means there are no plans for the people to hear about. So the people are stuck without Moses for what is a 40-day period of time, and they get impatient. It says in verse 1 that the people saw Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain. You know, the word delay is a personal word. It doesn't say how long Moses was gone. It's a personal word. They just thought in their own understanding that it was too long. Now, there's a, uh, we've been making light of it in our family. There's a few restaurants in our town due to workforce issues that they only do carry out or drive through. And we go to this one place frequently enough and and we pull into it, and we text the other person because we read in line, we go, oh, my goodness, we're the 17th person in line. We'll be home tomorrow. (laughs) Now, 17 is probably not an exaggeration, but the fact that we'll be home tomorrow absolutely is because I'm thinking this is crazy. Do I really want to wait 32 minutes in this line to eat this food, or would I rather make a decision to go someplace else? Delay. I don't know what causes you to think something is a delay, but let me position this. Have you ever asked God for something, and he did it just like this? Man, you're lucky. Because sometimes, I feel as though there's a delay. Delay is a personal perspective. Some of us are more patient than others. Some of us are more forgiving of times like this for others. And and we have to deal with things like that. So the people had waited for his return. They had looked for his return. They did not see him return. They said he is delayed. And in the absence of his return, they became impatient. They got on the seesaw between trust and despair called patience. And they leaned toward despair. We know this. They were fighting a battle between being patient because it was worth it and the despair of thinking that it was not going to work out. And that where we find ourselves many times? Church, they had a trust issue. Trust. That's the word I want you to hear a little bit that way. Because see, I'm that way at times. I have things that I seek from God, things that I ask of God, things that I hope will come to pass, things that are delayed, things that do not appear at the time that God will accomplish them, things that place me squarely on the seesaw of trust versus despair. And I want to tell you that I believe that it's highly likely that one or more of us in this room right now are impatient. And we're sitting on this seesaw of patience. And we're getting ready to decide whether we're going to trust God regardless of how long or whether we are going to take it in our own hands and lean toward despair. Right now, you could be facing a 
trust issue with God. Because see, when I get on that ride, the way I am put together in this sinful nature, I tend to lean toward despair, toward lack of trust, and I make bad decisions. When we do not wait on God, the actions we take will lead toward disaster. Church, when you lean toward taking it away from God and putting it in your own hands, it will not turn out well. And then we read in this scripture, because of their impatience, because of the delay that they thought was too long, they get on this trust issue with God and they begin to lean toward despair because Moses is nowhere to be found. And one of the saddest recorded actions of God's people is what we just read this morning. The people make a bad decision. Actually, they make three bad decisions. Let me detail those to you. One, they say, we don't know what's become of this Moses. If you go back and read that, this Moses, they know Moses. They've been following Moses for a long, long time. This Moses, that's a derisive comment. They are writing him off. They are talking negatively about him as if Moses had let them down personally, and they're going, we don't know this Moses anymore. The second thing that they do is a bad decision is they go, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. They gave Moses the credit for things of God. They had taken their eyes off of God, and they had begun trusting Moses. Church, can I tell you that when you take your eyes off of God and begin to trust in anything else, you will get on the seesaw of lack of trust, and you will slide over, lean over into despair. You will take actions on your own, and they will not turn out well. And then they said, because this Moses that we don't like anymore is not coming down, and because this is the Moses that's led us out of here, taking their eyes off of God, they said, make us gods to go before us. This is a very interesting thing from an evangelistic perspective. Think about this for a second. By their very request, they came to Aaron in not many days, and they go, we got to have something to follow. We don't have anything to follow. We got to have something to lead us. We have to have something to follow. Church, can I tell you that from an evangelistic standpoint, that can really change our perspective in the church when we understand that those that aren't knowing God yet, that do not seek God yet, you know what? They're looking for God. They're looking for something. The people in your life are looking, that don't know Jesus, are looking for something to fill their life with. That's why they keep grabbing every different thing that they can find. And how do I know this is true? Because that's what we do. We reach out to different things, try different things, do different things, go different places, spend different things, all in an effort to try to appease that hole in us that says, I got to have something to lead me. I got to have something to put my trust in. What a great opportunity we have, church, because we know the truth. And they don't know the truth. And God has said, go tell them the truth. But yet we... The people of God, just like Israel, we sometimes lean toward despair, do not trust God, do not wait, take things into our own hands, and the next thing you know, things are a big old mess. 
and the world is no closer to understanding that God loves them, that God has plans for them. Don't forget, while they're happening, Moses and God are up, up in heaven talking about the plans that God has and how God wants to be involved in their lives. Church, we cannot forget there are dueling activities here. One is on the seesaw leaning toward trust. And the other is on the seesaw leaning toward despair. And it all begins when we are not patient. Perhaps today we're the same way. People desire to believe in something, to place their trust in something. Maybe God will use us to be drawn closer to him so that we can then go out in this world and share with them the hope, the only hope that is Jesus. So they come to Aaron and they make these three bad choices. And verse two says, Aaron says, break off your earrings and bring them to me. You know, I read someplace this week, somebody was trying to let Aaron off the hook. Read in the commentary, actually in two places I saw it. They said that Aaron said, okay, give me your gold and we'll do something with it. That he believed that their gold would be too precious to them and that they would never give it. And so he was actually trying to appease them knowing he would never have to do anything because they would never give it. Somebody's trying to let him off the hook. Church, I don't expect that you will ever let me off the hook if I lead this poorly. Okay, let's just start. Church, don't ever let me off the hook if I lead this poorly. Your agreement, you say amen. 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 I can count on you to come to me and go, Jeff, that is not what God would have us to do. You see, every single one of us, including the pastor of this church, we can get on this seesaw sometimes and get a little dizzy and lean one way or the other. I got to know that you're going to go, Jeff, no, we are not doing that. But it's interesting. Aaron, even if, so if you follow that line of thinking, oh, the people won't give it, so I won't have to make anything and it'll all just go away. Well, the people overwhelm him with gold. Another evangelistic reminder and lesson right here. Do you know what people will trade to think that they can fill the place in their life with that lead and that trust and that relationship that they can follow? Do you know what people will trade to get that peace? Anything and everything in this world. So we need to recognize when we walk out in this world, we've got people who are going, I need something to follow. And they will do whatever it takes to find that true thing to follow. And church, we know, I hope you know, and I hope you believe that that answer is Jesus and only Jesus and always will be Jesus. And that's what we must be ready to share. So verse three says that, uh, so all the people brought their gold. Let me just make one final statement. Aaron should have said no, okay? He should have said no. You be patient. You sit down, you remember this about God, you remember that about God, you remember this, you remember this, and giving them a testimony and had them all just back up. But he didn't. So all the people brought their gold to Aaron. Verse four says he received the gold and he fashioned a golden calf for them. 
They made this golden calf their God. Now, it's interesting. When you go back and study the gods of Egypt, calves were used a lot. And then if you go and study the the idols used where they're going in the promised land by those many groups of people that live there, calves were used a lot. Now, I don't know why, but they were used a lot. People use what they see to help fashion what they believe. Just imagine what happens when they see you living absolutely sold out for God. They will go, I want some of that. The church, they got to see it from us, which means we can't get on this seesaw between despair and trust. We've got to be patient and know that God has a purpose and a plan and that he will reveal it so that we live that way so that they can have hope. But think about this gold for just a minute, what we know about this gold. See, last week, and if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, you can. It's online in a number of different places. Go and listen because it'll add some context to what I'm getting ready to say. But what we know about this gold that they gave is that this gold was given to the children of Israel as spoils by God from Egypt. Remember last week we talked about how they brought over, you know, how they spent nearly $61 million worth of today's value gold in the plans for the tabernacle. Now, they haven't given it yet because, see, they don't know these plans. But they have it because we know once they hear about it, they're going to give it. But this gold was given to them by God. And at the same time, God is telling Moses what the people are going to do with all of this gold that he has provided to them through the tabernacle and its furnishings. But the impatience of the people, even though they didn't know these plans were coming, caused them to misuse the gold. Interesting spiritual position right here. This is just a a thought I have. I think it rings true. God has promised to gift each of us with at least one spiritual gift to serve him with, to build up the church, and to glorify him. Scripture will teach, as you go back and do an analysis of people, where God has gifted people is typically the exact same place they disobey him. Think about that. When God has given you a passion for outreach, That'll be the place that you're the weakest when you don't give it to God. God said, I've given you this gold. And they're going, I don't know why I'm carrying this gold. But God had a purpose for it. And so whatever God has called you to do, whatever God is putting in your heart, whatever he has given you as resources, time, talents, um, money, whatever it is, God has a purpose for it. You just hold on. He'll ask for it when he's ready. Because, see, when we misuse what God has given to us, We bring dishonor to God. Verse 5 says that not only did he build the uh, idol, the calf, but that he built an altar to it, and notice what they called it. They called it the Lord. How interesting and how quickly our hearts can displace God. Verse 6, they offered burnt offerings, peace offerings, And it says that the people, this is my phrase, they played. 
They did the offerings that God had told them to do, but they did them to the calf. Church, there's a big word here I learned this week that is something that we probably need to learn together. When you do the things of God in an ungodly manner, it's called syncretism. You think you are doing something godly, but you're not. It's syncretism. Syncretism is the combining of different beliefs, the merging of religious practices, the combining of various schools of thought. So the people had said, well, we need to give a peace offering to God. That's what God taught us. But now we don't serve God. We serve this calf. So we're going to give a peace offering to this calf. That is not right. Doing the things of God outside of the ways of God is not right for God's people then nor God's people now. And do you know that there are things in my life and perhaps things in your life that you're allowing to be okay because you can tie them back to God in some way, shape, or another. It's called syncretism. It's inappropriate and it's wrong. We are called to do the things of God for God the way God defined them. Anything outside of that is improper. We need to be watchful for that in our lives. I pray that you will this week begin to say, God, show me things in my life that I'm doing that were supposed to be done for you, but that I have misused them in one way, shape, or another. Just like David asked for in Psalm 139, God, look at my heart. Show me anything. Ask God about that in your life. Because when we begin to do that, we get on the seesaw of impatience and we lean toward despair and not trust. Verse 7, everything in verses 1 through 6 has been happening on the ground, not up on the mountain. Moses has been with God up on the mountain. Moses doesn't know anything about what's happening on the ground except God knows everything that's happening on the ground and on the mountain. Do you guys follow all that? Do you know that God knows everything about you? There is nothing in your life right now, no motive, no plans, no purposes that God is not aware of. He knows when you're getting ready to get on that seesaw and slide toward taking control. And he would say, don't do it. And God says to Moses, look at verse 7. For your people, you know, we understand this phrase, don't we? Angela and I had two kids. Every now and then, I'd go, Angela, your son. (laughs) We know what we're saying, right? We're going, that's not me. That's got to be you, the way he's acting. And that's what God says to Moses. He said, Moses, your people down there are doing the wrong things. Verse 7, God says, the people have corrupted themselves. You know one definition of corrupted is? They have made things worse. Do you know that's what happens when we get impatient, when we get on the seesaw between trust and despair, we naturally lean toward despair, we take things into our own hands, and we make a mess of it. God says, they've corrupted themselves, Moses. They've made things worse. Verse 7, 
Look what it says here too. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, verse eight, for they have turned aside quickly out of the way. Do you know we could have taken time right here and gone back, backwards in Exodus, where the children of Israel said, we will do all that God says. 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 How quickly. That had become then, and this had become now. And you're going, Jeff, just leave that right there because we don't need to go any further on that, but we do. Tomorrow's Monday. We got this, right? Tomorrow's Monday. Do you know what God expects you to do on Monday? To live for him like you did on Sunday. But it's interesting how quickly we set aside God when we get out of the things of God. Church, we don't want to be that way. God called out here how quickly they stepped out of the way. I pray that your commitment to God is not some kind of verbal statement that you make inside the church that's the Jesus answer that we all know we're supposed to say inside the church. I pray that your commitment to God is an absolute life-changing, wholehearted, I can do it no other way but live for the God kind of commitment so that you do not fall quickly out of the way. Then the Lord describes everything that has happened to Moses, and in verse 9, he calls them a stiff-necked people. This is the first use of this term in all of Scripture. Typically, the first use of a term in Scripture defines that term the clearest, and then it builds on it as it's used more. Stiff-necked means stubborn, headstrong, obstinate. You know, somehow we've made all of those character traits that aren't that bad. In Hebrew, the word is a two-part word called kasha oreth, meaning difficult to turn back. This is where I stop. You know, I told you I finished my sermons on... Thursdays. Well, this week I've really been challenged with what God, God, please help me make sure I say the right things and do the right things. And so Friday morning I was leaving my house and I was going out for a run, which I have tendency to do from time again. And I prayed as I was running, Lord, give me clarity about what I'm supposed to do on Sunday morning so that you will be honored and glorified. And then I ran and they're going to find me here on this camera right here. And I ran, and I found this. Now, okay. Now, let me just give you a little more. This is Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. I found him by the side of the road. He's a McDonald's toy currently right now. But what do you notice about Tramp is his head's backwards. That's how I found him. Okay. Now, let's leave Tramp for just a second. We'll leave Tramp right there. I did a little more studying about being stiff-necked. Do you know one of the definitions or one of the 
phrases used about stiff-necked people is that they have their heads on backwards. And I'm going, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I know I'm in the right place. And you're going, Jeff, you're getting all excited because you found a backwards-headed dog by the side of the road while running on a Friday. Yes, I am. Not because that dog means anything, but because God confirmed in my mind and in my head and in my heart that we needed to make sure that we talked about being stiff-necked for just a second. That dog's head's on backwards. That's what stiff-necked people do. Another definition of being stiff-necked is this, not to be led. Are you Kasha Orif? Are you stiff-necked? Do you have your head on backwards as it relates to God? And you're going, Jeff, I don't know. You're going to have to give me just a little more information. It's a trust issue. I'll give you a phrase, and then we'll talk about it, and I'll give you that phrase again. When a man is uncertain about his future, he will always return to his past. Think about that. That's truth. Because you're, God's validating in your life right now. Yep. You see, while this is the first time that this description of the people has been used, this is not the first time that God has known that this is a stiff-necked people unwilling to be led. You see, God knows we can all be stiff-necked. That is why a 250-mile journey from Egypt to the promised land that could have been completed in three months of just casual walking will take Israel 40 years. God has to teach them to be led. God desires to teach them about His mercy, His grace, His power, His faithfulness, and so many many more things. God desires to unfold his plans for their lives. But a man with no future will always return to his past. When you get on the seesaw in patience, when you start getting into a trust battle with God, and God says, you trust me, but you go, no, I can't. I've got to do this on my own. You start leaning toward despair, which is the loss of trust. You'll turn back to where you've been. Think about that for a second. Think about how that is in your life. Where do you turn when things get hard? Toward your past. People that you know that are struggling with even understanding God and they're caught up in one problem or another, where do they turn when things get hard? Right back to where they came from. Church, that's just how we are. When a person does not have the hope and trust of a better path forward, they will always go back to where they've been, regardless of how bad then was. Note that every time things got hard for the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, what did they long to do? Why can't we just go back to Egypt? We at least had pots full of meat, plenty of bread, water. Every time things got hard, they said, God has forgotten us. We should have just stayed where we were. 
Akasha Oreth. Got your head on backwards. That is difficult thinking. Somebody in this room has been walking down the main street of a city, talking with someone, looking backwards, and ran into a telephone pole. Now, you don't have to tell me who you are, but in a group this size, somebody's done that, not paid attention, and ran smack into something that if you'd have been paying attention, it wouldn't have happened. Got your head on backwards, stiff-necked, impatient with God. We revert to our past ways. Stephen speaks to this in the last use of a stiff-necked people. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, when he is given his great testimony before his martyrdom, he says in Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Stephen trusted God. Stephen stood firm. Now Stephen also lost his life, but he lost it for the glory of God. Do you know it takes trust and faith to live for God? Here's the question. Do you resist the Holy Spirit? See, as a child of God, the Holy Spirit resides in your life. Desires to lead you, guide you, convict you, direct you, teach you in all things. But when we do not heed the Holy Spirit, we are resisting the Holy Spirit. We're looking back, not forward. We're stiff-necked. Have you ever been impacted or have you ever been impatient? only to learn after the fact that you regretted your impatience. I said that, right? Have you ever been impatient, acted out? God, man, if I'd only known, I'd have waited. We know how that feels. I have. And when we do not wait, when we do not have patience, do not trust, we can really mess things up. And if Israel had only trusted and only been patient, you see, we know they don't. We know, based on reading Scripture, that God was giving Moses all the wonderful plans that he had, always had, to dwell with the people. God always has a good purpose for you. God's actions are right. His timing is perfect, and they all work for our good if we will just wait. Church, can I tell you that not waiting on God has its consequences? Now, I want to encourage you, read chapter 32. Here on from the end. Read from the beginning, but read all the way through. But let me just give you a summarization of what happens in verses 10 through 28. God is angry with the people. Imagine that. And God is not just miffed with them. He's angry almost to the blot you out stage. Moses, they come down and Joshua says, Moses, I hear Something like a battle going on in the camp. And Moses had already been told by God, he said, that's not a battle. That was singing. And Moses walked right into their partying to this golden calf God. And not only was, Moses, not only was God to the blot you out anger stage, Moses was infuriated. And that church is when the tablets got thrown down and busted. All of God's plans. Put on hold because we got on the seesaw and leaned toward despair instead of trust. Leadership is marred. 
Aaron, Moses goes to Aaron, he said, what do you do this for? Aaron said, I didn't do anything. You know, they're a stiff-necked people. And he says, and on top of that, I threw all the gold in the fire and then this, this golden calf just jumped out. Leadership is marred. Church, if I ever lead you to worship anything but the Lord God, you should pitch me out of the camp. Lies are told. Allegiances are questioned. Moses got up and he said, okay, whoever's for God better stand over here. And then these people that were for God got to enact part of the judgment of God on the people that had did. said over 3,000 people lost their lives that day. Relationships are changed. Fellowship is broken and lives are lost. You know, I talk to people so many times who just wish that they could go back before a problem that was created and change what they did. And it's very possible that you are that person right now that you could be going, yeah, I acted that way once upon a time and man, I sure regret it because things have never been the same. I bet Israel felt this way. But you can't. Church, you cannot live in that regret. We can only seek to commit, to confess and recommit. Let me read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, verses, verse 9, and then three verses after that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. That means he will every time, and he has the authority to do it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as if it never happened. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Today, you can begin to trust. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe you have never trusted Christ with your life. And God brought you here and he's shown you the truth and you see the need and you go, the only answer to fill this need in my life to follow is Jesus. Or maybe you've been stiff-necked and in the process you have returned back and you're not as faithful as you once were. God says, if you'll bring it to me, if you'll confess it, I already know. Confess means agree. If you'll give it all up and agree with me that what you've done is sin, I'll make it all go away. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Church, we've got to do something. We can't stay where we are. I mentioned to you last week, we're a good church, but good is not what God created us for. And God is calling us now to stop looking backwards, to start looking forward and to trust him every single step of the way. Amen.